thank Marty uh, for serving us in that way? And Paul, Paul, thank you. It is so good to be with you. It's been over a year. Uh, if I haven't met you before, my name is Carlos DeVitas. I've been on staff here for a decade. Um, believe it or not, I'm starting my 11th year. But a year ago, uh, I was invited to participate in a little adventure in a life of PCC. And we took a small group of people and we uh, opened the gym up on Sunday morning and filled it with chairs. And the 905 began. And uh, 12 months I've been there. And one of the things that, um, just as a part of our community, one of the hardest aspects of that has been how isolating it is for me to be there, where for, for nine years I saw you fairly regularly. Um, and so being, I feel like I'm, I'm back together with family, a bit of a family reunion. Um, in the last year, a lot's happened. A year ago, these worked, and so I could now, now I need these. I mean, things just started to fall apart. I also can't remember names anymore. Um, so if you see me, and even if we've gone through long seasons, say, hey, just, re- I'm Ted, you can, like, that's okay, I know you're getting older, and uh, you're starting to forget a few things, and your eyes don't work anymore. Um, so so uh, during all of that, we talked about New Year's, and Gary, we were discussing, hey, New Year's, what, where are people going to be? Should we have gatherings? And I said, oh, yeah, let's have the 905. We'll put a few chairs in a circle, and we'll share what God's doing in our lives. And it was going to be that simple. And then um, in December, uh, Gary and I chatted, and he said, hey, I'd like you to teach. I'm very excited about that. Uh, one of the things I cherish the most about what God has called me to do is to share his word within the body of Christ, to share his word together in community. So I'm looking forward to these few moments we have together today. And it's one of these uh, free choice. You know, we do a lot of series uh, here, and this is, it's, it's New Year's. So, hey, Carlos, free choice, where do you want to go? And actually, a few weeks ago, I shared with our students in our student ministry this same message on John chapter 5. It's just something God has been speaking to me, and so I want to share it with you today. Uh, fundamentally, the idea is that the worst thing is never, ever, ever the last thing. Let that sink in for a second. The worst thing, it's a real thing. 2016 was a year that hit a lot of us in the face. Whether it was what happened on a national scale with just how we watched our nation wrestle and how social media entered in and there was this fervor that was raised up and the the name calling and the arguing or um, maybe it was watching some of, of the icons of our childhood die, many of them too soon. And then right here at home, this gathering has experienced so much of the worst thing and is currently, in these few weeks, folks who are here walking through, losing loved ones. 2016 hit us in the face. And so here comes Happy New Year, which is kind of like a way of saying, well, I guess the sad last year kind of coming to an end. But in Christ, the worst thing is not the last thing. You see, I didn't grow up with faith and When I became a Christian, um, I was very excited about it, so I started every sentence with, well, as a Christian, because I I thought I needed to qualify why I believed what I believed. Prior to that, I would just share something. You would say, like, Carlos, what's two plus two? And I'd say four. And then after I became a follower of Christ, Carlos, what's two plus two? Well, as a Christian, two plus two is four. I don't know why I did that. I had no context to understand how we should talk as Christians. And so, and I, di- I discovered that people, even my friends behind my back, called me as a Christian boy. So they get everything he says. You'd be like, hey, you want to go play basketball? Well, as a Christian, I, yes, I think I will. 
And so everything was prefaced with that. And I was an RA. I had this group of guys uh, in my dorm, and I was everything I'd say to them, they'd turn on music. I'd go, well, as a Christian, I'm not sure about that music. Uh, they, they would be heading out on a weekend. I'd go, well, as a Christian. So they go, oh, this RA is always as a Christianing us. And then one day I walk in, and the guys are all in the common area. The, the dorm had a space where everyone could watch TV together. And I've just got what seems to be this awful movie playing. Uh, lead actors, Christopher Walken, the name of the movie is The Prophet. And it's a story about Jesus, sort of. See, Jesus is going to be born again, and Christopher Walken is Satan, and so he's going around doing everything he can to stop the birth of Jesus again. It's basically a, a horror film. And the guys are watching. I'm like, guys, as a Christian, I don't think you should be watching this. And this one guy, Lee, who, who is pretty vocal about his um, antagonism towards my as a Christian talk, he's like, hey, it's got Jesus in it. And I couldn't make him stop. I'm like, uh, I just, as a Christian, I don't think you should. So then I, later that night, I'm in bed uh, in my dorm with my, my roommate, Jim, and we're sleeping, and we hear a... And you kind of, you know, you wake up and go, what is that? It's really late. Carlos, Carlos, are you in there? Carlos, I need to talk. I'm like, oh, come on. Guys. These guys are all playing pranks all the time, rolling bowling balls down the hallway in the middle of the night, throwing the metal dustpan on the tile floor. I'm like, oh, I just want to sleep, right? And Carlos, Christopher Walken came to me in my dream. I'm like, well, come in. Lee comes. So I get up, I open the door. Lee comes in. He's 6'8". Lee's a basketball player. He's really big. He comes in, and he, he just looks so small and afraid. And he goes, as a, he, he, he says, I was dreaming. And as I was dreaming, Christopher Walken showed up, and he was sitting in this chair across from me smoking a cigarette. And he was Satan. He was Christopher Walken, but he was Satan. And he looked at me, and he said, Lee, it's either me or Jesus. And he says, how do I find Jesus? So he falls on his knees right there in my dorm room and as a Christian boy prays with Lee and he says, Jesus, I give my life to you because there's this fun, I start with that to let you, to remind you that Jesus does not always work in this linear A, B, C. It, it, the worst thing is not the last thing and the scriptures are full of stories of him living this out, of him doing just what he did through a dream with Christopher Walken and a B-rate horror film for Lee, transforming his life. Well, he was a young man with a lot of pain, and he had reasons why he didn't like the church, and he had reasons why he wanted nothing to do with Jesus. But in that dream, God shook him up, and he came to our room because he trusted us, and he said, what do I do? And we said this, you give your life to Christ, because he's right. It is either one or the other. There's no middle. And so we find Jesus in John chapter 5. Um, there's a great context here. Many of you are familiar with this text. I want you to read. I want you to take a moment and suspend the obvious and just let it sink in. John chapter 5, verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned what he had, that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred and while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. 
And at once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat, and he walked. Let's pray. Father, your scriptures, they tell us, they tell us and they reveal to us your character, your truth, the depth of your love, and how we are to see the world. Thank you for a pool, a man that Jesus saw, and healing. Thank you for how that can speak to us today. I pray that you would open these scriptures up. In Jesus' name, amen. The healing at the pool of Bethsaida. What a, what a fascinating story if you think about it. You have Jesus. He's, he's in Jerusalem for the holy festivals. He's a rabbi. He's going to be on point and focused. And for some reason, we find him wandering to a place where he has no business. Make sure you put that in its context. Jesus had no reason to go to this pool on this day and do what he did. Maybe he was out for a walk. His disciples were following him. And he said, hey, let's pass through here. But if he said that, his disciples would have said, Jesus, no. No, no, we don't go, we don't go there. That's a place where a lot of unclean people are. And what they're practicing there, I don't think God approves of it. But for whatever reason, we find Jesus walking to this pool. And as he does, what is it? He, he pull, there's, there's sick, there's paralyzed, there's the blind, there's invalids are everywhere, people who can't get better. And we find Jesus have a conversation with one of them. So that's the setting, the pool of Bethsaida. A place where maybe people thought an angel would stir the water and they would be healed. I think that's a, uh, a reading that's favorable to us, but uh, archaeology and Christian history argue a little bit with who they thought would heal them, and we'll get to that in a moment. Then you have the method of healing. What does Jesus do? If you look at the text, it's very interesting. He says, do you want to get well? <laughs> Absolutely. I want to get well. Jesus heals people 16 times, not counting dealing with demons. And of those 16 times, he touches them 12. Jesus very, he interacts, he gets down with people, and he, 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 he spits in the, the dirt, and he makes mud, and he puts it in their eyes, and they wipe it away, and they can see. Or he takes water, and he, he's often using, interacting with what's around him. This is a very different story of healing. And fundamentally, one of the things that's happening with it is Jesus walks in, and, and I want you to hear this, it's specific to the nature of Christ and the idea that the worst thing, and we'll get to that, is not the last thing. Jesus sees you. He always does. He always does. He walks in this place where he has no business being as a rabbi. And there's the sick all over. And there's one that has been there a very long time. Maybe we could just say a couple weeks would be a long time. Maybe a year. If you suffered with chronic pain, you understand a little bit of what that would be like. Now imagine suffering with chronic disabling pain and being alone, sitting and waiting for some type of miraculous healing. That's just close to the worst thing. The only thing worse than that is death. Jesus, he sees you. But note the paralyzed man's attitude. He says, sir, this guy has no idea who Jesus is. 
There was no news. There wasn't Twitter. There wasn't Facebook. There was no way that this guy would know who Jesus was. He was a local traveling preacher. He was a rabbi who was performing miracles, but many of those miracles were happening outside of the major centers of the local population. And his final moment hadn't come where he would kind of stir up the whole city. This guy doesn't know who Jesus is. He just says, sir, I have no one to help me. And this is what I see in this. Jesus sees you. Jesus sees him, but he can't see Jesus. I have no one to help me. Jesus looks right at him. Do you want to get better? I have no one to help me. Do you want to be healed? I have no one to help me. Do you want this brokenness that has clung to you your entire life to be taken away? I have no one to help me. Sir, it's a great question, but there's no way. Jesus sees you. Most of the time, we don't see him. Because here's what happens. It says, I have no one to help me into the pool. When the water is stirred, while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So year after year, he sits there, drags, claws, somehow tries to get to that pool. And either somebody with friends or someone who can use their legs gets there ahead of him, and they touch that miraculous swirling water, and maybe they're healed. Jesus says, I see you. And he says, no, you don't. I see that, and that is what I'm hoping will save me. And here's what's great about the character of Christ, revealed through all of his actions, revealed through the cross and revealed through his resurrection. He says, I don't care. I'm really uninterested in whether or not you see me and give me affirmation right now for what I've offered you. I am Jesus. I'm here to heal you. Do you see me? Do you see me? Because get up your mat and walk. And I love it. The guy picks up his mat and he walks away. And the story, it ends there, but if you, we're not going to get into the second part. If you meet a little bit later on, Jesus bumps into him. He's like, oh, hey, I see you're better. The guy still has no idea who Jesus is. Then he looks at him and he says, go and sin no more. Or, you know how bad it was? It's going to get even worse. I don't have time to dig into that. I'll probably spend my whole life trying to understand what, what was Jesus saying to him in that moment. Stop sinning or it's going to get worse. So we're going to stick in the first nine verses. And then you can go study the scripture. There, is, there, are, there, are, there, are, there are some things we can draw on and pull out of that. But today I want to just focus on that moment where he picks up his mat and he walks. But to do that, I want to maybe give you a new perspective on the pool. See, the pool is the temple of Bethsaida. There's a lot of uh, history around this. And what is it? It's sort of a bath. Uh, has has a bunch of coverings around it. And uh, it was a place where people um, would gather and we think would wait for some miraculous healing through the elements of the water. The bit about angels stirring the water was added into the text uh, later on. And, and it's in there, and we need to wrestle with it, but it was added to probably try to bring some meaning. So the Spirit brings that into it to bring some deeper meaning to it. But archaeology has also introduced us to Asclepius. This is a Greek god of healing. And, and that actual pool of Bethsaida became a bath for Asclepius, a place where people would go and they would just hope that this God would heal them. Asclepius had two kids, basically panacea and hygiene. 
That's roughly their names. So you, but you get the idea. This, this whole belief system was that there's this god, and this god, Asclepius, has a couple kids. Yeah, panacea cures everything, and hygiene, um, I guess, I'm not sure how hygiene fits in the whole thing. But here they are, and this pool, if, if, you just, if you just can get to the water at the right time, then you'll be healed. And I want to submit to you that there's very good evidence that the man wasn't just sitting there waiting for Yahweh to take care of his business. He wanted to be healed, and he was more than willing, willing to look outside of the truth to find something else to bring him his healing. Because at this point, the baths, the healing pools, they were merged. And it was shortly after this time that this was fully converted into a temple pool for Asclepius. So you've got a guy sitting there, and Jesus says to him, you want to get well? He says, I see you. He says, but I can't see you because my eyes are fixed on this thing that I hope will bring healing. They are fixed on it. They have been fixed on it for almost two decades. Do you relate to that at all? I mean, maybe we think it's Christ we're looking to, but how possible is it that it's actually something else in our circumstances? It's close enough to the Christian faith and to our, what we understand about the nature of God that we believe that we're putting our full trust in him. But somehow when we peel back all those layers and Jesus looks at us and he says, I see you, and you say, no, I see the career I poured my life into. I see the good life I lived and the choices I made. I see the generosity I've given to the church over the years. I see all that I've done and I know, I know you're going to be good to me because of that God. And Jesus is going, what are you looking at? I see you, and you're looking at something all about you. And I have something all about me. So pick up your mat and walk. See, I believe Jesus chose that pool on that day for a reason. He wanted to make a statement. He often does as he introduces the kingdom of God. He says, the kingdom of God is here, and you thought it was like this, but actually it's like this. So he walks during a holy time as a rabbi, walks to a place he shouldn't be, chooses a guy. And in that spot he says, I see you. And I know you're looking at the kingdoms of this world to bring healing to you. But the kingdom, in the kingdom of God, pick up your mat and walk. Because everybody needs to know, swirling waters and angels' wings won't heal you. Asclepius and panacea, uh, panacea and hygiene won't heal you. Your friends carrying you to that pool won't heal you. The wisdom of Apollo won't heal you. All of the temple sacrifice that you could bring won't heal you. There is nothing in this kingdom that can do what I can do. So if you look at your bare message notes, I want to read a quote to you from Frederick Buchner. The worst isn't the last thing about the world. It's the next to last thing. The last thing is the best. It's the power from on high that comes down into the world that wells up from the rock-bottom worst of the world like a hidden spring. Can you believe it? The last best thing is the laughing deep in the hearts of the saints and sometimes our hearts even. Yes, 
You are terribly loved and forgiven. Yes, you are healed. All is well. So we start 2017. Um, You're probably a little more disciplined than me, but we don't start it on the hope of our New Year's resolutions and our hard work. I went out last night and I bought cheese dip, tortilla chips, frozen pizzas, and ice cream. Because I thought, all I've done for like five years is gain weight. One more time to let loose. And tomorrow, I'm going to start better. All right? So you've got to go all in, right? Before you change, you have to go all in. But maybe New Year's resolutions and new hope and new opportunities and the stuff we long and we lean into, maybe they're just all some version of Asclepius. Some version of hygiene and panacea. Some version of an angel's wing swirling a pool. Maybe we're looking at them and we should be looking at Jesus. See, we have the luxury of not really answering that question until we see death. We have the luxury of thinking that, "Ah, I don't really have to deal with this until we see death. As I prepare to end, I want you, and I know that, that, that in the last few weeks, we've seen loved ones, their bodies give out. And they were done fighting. I know we'll be celebrating their lives in memorials. Celebrating who they were and how they lived and what they mean to us. I know this year has had a lot of loss for this gathering and for our community. I want you to think about somebody that you've lost. Because death, it's the final thing. It's the last thing. The guy at the pool, it was his life he was focused on. It was death he was trying to avoid. And if he could just be healed, he could go about his life. But once death comes, there's no more waiting. There's no more sitting, hoping you get in the pool. Let me read that to you again. The worst isn't the last thing about the world. It's the next to last thing. The last thing is the best. The worst is death, and it's not the last thing about the world. It is the next to last thing. The last thing is the best thing. Because Jesus, in a way that only he could, he went from the pool of Bethsaida, he ended up in Jerusalem, falsely accused, brutally beaten, hung to a cross. I would submit to you the whole time with a twinkle in his eye. The whole time going, the worst is not the last. The last is the best. Because three days from now, this tomb will be empty. And then we will sing for thousands of years, Oh death, where is your sting? Oh death, where is your sting? And if that's true about death, then we might as well get our eyes off other things in life. If it's true about death, that it's lost its sting, then we might as well get our eyes off other things in life. When Jesus says, I see you, I see that broken relationship, and I see how hard it is to mend it, and we say, yeah, but, he says, stop it, pick up your mat and walk. I can do what nobody else can. If you're suffering and sitting in chronic pain, 
And it can sound really trite, but I just want to say, Jesus sees you. I don't know if you'll pick up your mat and walk, but I know seeing that he sees you will make the difference day by day. So the worst isn't the last thing about the world. It's the next to last thing. The last thing is the best. It's the power from on high that comes down into the world that wells up from the rock bottom worst of the world like a hidden spring. Can you believe it? The last best thing is the laughing deep in the hearts of the saints. Sometimes our hearts even. Yes, you are terribly loved and forgiven. Yes, you are healed. And this is true. All is well. Amen. listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.